Okay, we are on. Hi, this is Michael Waits, and welcome back to the Asia Tech Podcast. Today, we are joined by Lee Wan-Si, a director at IMDA in Singapore. Wan-Si, thank you so much for doing this today. How are you, by the way? Hi, Michael. Um, thanks for having me today. I'm really, really happy to be here. I'm good. Um, how are you? I am super duper. Really, really excited today. It's really great to have you here. Before <laughs> look at Rachel. Before we get into the central part of this conversation, I want to get some of your background for some context, and then I want to get a little bit of what the IMDA is as well. So I've been living and working in Singapore all my life, so born and bred. And also, um, most of my career I've spent in the public service, in the public sector, working in different agencies that um, predate IMD. Um, because also in the technology, there's also a lot of development and uh, transformation that we have to make as well, right? Yeah. So I've tried different things. I've um, worked in, in the government delivery of public um, e-services and public services, um, digital services to the public. I use the word public many times, yeah, <laughs> but that's also because... Can I jump in? Because I think this is really important, and it was something that I was going to ask you as soon as you were done. When you started, you didn't mm -hmm. say, I work in the government. You said you work in public service. I think it's so important that that was the way you led. Can I really understand yeah. why, you know, somebody who's as well-educated as you are says, I want to dedicate my life to doing public service. And in a way, I want to find my own way inside the public service sector to try to find it. But what from the beginning, you know, even as a little girl, right, you have to look at the path of my life. Do I want to be a doctor, <laughs> a lawyer, an airline pilot, whatever it is? And I'm serious, though, because I think it's really important to note this. You said, I want to go into the public sector because it's important to me and it's important to Singapore. I'm trying to figure out why. Yeah, I, I mean, to be perfectly honest, when I was little girl, I didn't, I didn't start out saying I, I want to join the public service, right? In some ways, I kind of stumbled into it. But that, that mindset of doing something um, that will help society, that will help um, Singapore, um, has always been there. In the beginning, I wanted to teach. I wanted to be a teacher. But I, I decided to um, try this thing called technology and I decided to try the public service. So that was how I started. Um, but that idea of I want to make sure that what I do make a difference to Singapore, to our society, to our economy, um, has always been there. Found it difficult to work for a private enterprise where you know your 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 main objective is to, you know, it's the bottom line is 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 it's um driving profits, for example, right, right? or um for, for the organization. So here in, in my case, I, I find the work very meaningful. That's why I think throughout my career, I've, I wouldn't say that, but I've tried different things because that gave me the opportunity to stay in public service because otherwise I'll get bored, right? right. If I do the same job for this many years. So I've done, for example, e-service delivery, right? From the government. How do we help businesses be able to very quickly apply for um, the relevant um, business licenses, right? And make it simple, make it one-stop. Um, and really that then translates to um, eventually helping um, economy in Singapore, uh, you know, that indirectly, right? Yeah. Um, because you allow businesses to start up here much, much more um, quickly. I've tried doing work in um, planning, right? Um, developing long-term strategy for um, Singapore's um, ICT um, stir. Um, what kind of infrastructure we need to put in place, what kind of transformation we have to make amongst our different um, sectors and so on. So those are things that I did early in my career. Um, and where I'm at now um, is really 
looking at how can I help uh, make technology safer, right, for society, Singapore, right? That's why I'm working on, you know, AI governance, um, helping organizations implement uh, more responsible AI, because I think it's important that, that we do it properly, right? That's one, but yeah. also um, it's also really about building trust. Um, with the consumers, because when when they cannot trust the technology, then they won't they will not they will not use it, and if they do not use it, they cannot benefit from it. There's been yeah. a there's been a massive conversation, particularly in the past few days, about open AI and <laughs> the stuff that Sam Altman is building there through the ChatGPT and Dali, and even an open letter to them saying, "Hey, maybe you should just slow down a little bit." I don't want to get into the politics of that because I'm not really interested in it, but it's something that society as a whole is really thinking about. This safety thing is actually super important. Can you dig a little bit deeper into that, if that's okay? Like why that's so important and from your perspective, why it matters so much? Firstly, because of the kind of capabilities and the AI can introduce, right? It's, yeah. it's actually being used in many, many aspects of our lives, right? Yeah. You go to a bank and you want to apply for a home loan, for example, at the back end, the AI that be then making recommendations to the bank manager sure. on whether you're suitable right for the loan for example your student um so there are, i hear of many students today they use ChatGPT to sort of help them improve right on some of the output that they're generating right. um, whether it's about a speech they're making in school or some kind of notes for the powerpoint presentation so they're 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 getting help right so, so it's touching us in us in any way right? um even um my mom, right? I mean, she's 80 plus years old. She's on Facebook all the time. And she gets all these sort of like um, recommended articles, uh, not articles or videos to, to watch or newsfeed, right? From Facebook. That's also AI, right? Yep. Giving her recommendation on what she should be looking at. So it's everywhere. And in that sense, I think we, uh, we want to make sure that given how pervasive it's going to be or it already is, um, that it is um, safe. So the example I gave on the on the um, on the mortgage or the or the credit um, the loan that that you can get from a bank, you want to make sure that you know uh, the system doesn't recommend um, that you do not get a loan because of the data that it has that's let's say incorrect, right? right? Um, because a lot of AI is trained on past data and some of the problems in this data, whether it's bias or whether it's um, um, inaccuracies, can be introduced right into the model. And that's one of the reasons why, you know, the work that we do is then reminding organizations they have to make sure as they do all this work, um, they, they take into account um, issues around bias, issues around accuracy, robustness, and so on. Right. And being able to understand the model and explain how it works, that's also important. Yeah. It's super important. And I want to make one analogy and then I want to back up for a second. When we built, when we built automated trading models at Goldman Sachs, we did have to take out, we did have to make sure that all the data was clean, right? Because if we were basing our trading decisions yeah. on data that was incorrect, we were then going to make the wrong trading decisions. And it's the same thing in, in real life. My perfect example of this is a couple of days ago, just out of curiosity, I typed in to chat GPT, who is Michael Waits? <laughs> some of it was right, but some of it was really wrong. Like I wouldn't have, like if someone was using that to create my bio, I would have had to stop them. Anyway, so you're right. The safety is really important. I, I want to I switch gears a little bit. I, I want to understand how Singapore itself has been so successful. Right? We talked about the IMDA, right? So the IMDA stands for mm -hmm. the Infocom Media Development Authority. 
I think it's a really important part of what's happening there. I like this idea that you brought up the e-delivery of business services to people. Accra is a perfect example of this. Singapore is the place where businesses regionally say, you know what, I'm just going to incorporate in Singapore, not just because it's easier there, but because the rest of the world seems to understand the legal system and, and everything that it's based on. Mm -hmm. And I think all of these departments that the Singapore government has created has added to that sort of business stability. But what you don't know, and this is where I was going to say this before we started recording, but I'm going to say it now. Singapore and I am the exact same age, both born in 1965. So when I went to Singapore for the first time in 1990, I was the same age. I didn't know that then. But the way I've watched it grow up, I'm super curious for, for your perspective, right? It's not like an official opinion, but I'm super curious from your perspective, how has the entity of Singapore, the country of Singapore, been so successful at not just taking a long-term view, but getting that long-term view right, if that makes sense, right? Moving from an electronic manufacturing base into a banking base, into a service base, and now into a technology base, there haven't been a lot of errors along the way. How has that happened so well, do you think, just from your perspective? Wow, that's a big question, Michael. Um, yeah, it is. From my perspective, um, I don't think it has been easy. No. I think if you if you looked at how we started um, back in 65, I think it's a, a group of very talented, capable people who came together and said this is what they wanted to do. Yep. And I think in, in, at that time, it's also they believe that it's important and they believe that it's really about you know doing what they can to help Singapore survive because we were young um we had lots of problems then you know when we when we were first independent yeah. um housing the economy um and so on right um so it was important that they figure it out and they tried many different things right and i mean things have progressed and in a way i think because we are small it allows us to sort of adapt and adjust very quickly it's both a good thing right um because it you know, we could do, for example, uh, we could fiber up the nation. That's something that um, I did, right? The, everybody has access to fiber at their, in their homes, right? And that's yeah. something that we did a long time ago. And during COVID, we had no problems with internet, even though everyone was working from home. They could watch their movies. You don't need to throttle anything and so on, right? So, so because of our size, we could do these things more easily, right? Um, but also because of us, we have limitations. And I think if you ask me what is something that's important for Singapore, it's always thinking beyond our size, yeah. right? Beyond our physical limitations. Looking ahead to the world as our marketplace, as our source of talent, or source of capabilities. And I think that's something that really helped us grow. Because right from the onset, we decided it's not it's not something that we can we, we can't be alone in this world, right? Yeah. Looking globally um, is important. Yeah. So I hope that sort of answer your, answer it does. your question. It does, yeah. and I love it. And, and I yeah. love this idea of thinking beyond our physical limitations. I actually may make that yeah. the title of this episode because I think it's really instructive for the way that the country thinks about itself. I want to share an epiphany moment with you, and I want to maybe see if you had some of the same ideas that I did. When I was in college, I was really poor, right? And I was typing all my papers on a, on a, um, on a typewriter. And if I got a word wrong, I had to use whiteout and stuff like that. And I remember somebody was walking around with a Macintosh, literally carrying it around. And I thought, what is that thing? 
And as soon as I started testing it and started writing my papers on that thing, I mean, I would think I was really hassling this guy to be able to borrow it to write my papers, most of which I did mm. between midnight and five o'clock in the morning, <laughs> embarrassingly. But that was kind of my epiphany moment that computers were going to change the way I was going to live my life. And I basically did that forever. And I'm wondering if you did that as well. If you had in a moment where mm. you thought tech is going to change things and I need to be involved. I... I think I was very lucky and I'll probably talk a little bit about that later as well. Um, I was lucky that when I was very young, my parents, you know, bought us a little Apple, I think it was Apple IIe or something, some kind of uh, computer, which I cannot remember. And we could sort of play with it and figure it out and be very, very comfortable with technology, even though I was really young and probably had no idea about what I wanted to do in my life and what technology meant. But that sort of got me started a little bit and... I think where tech is going to be an important part of my, my life that came about when I went to university. I studied um, computational science and physics. Uh, I wanted to teach. That's why I studied physics. But at the same time, I wanted to see what is this thing, you know, this new yeah. this new idea about um, 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 computers and how does it help us do better science, for example, right? So that was one of the reasons why I went to that. And that's why I think it sort of got me started. Um, and I and I mentioned earlier that I wanted to talk a little bit about me as a as a young girl and Please. maybe just lead a little bit to some of the work that we are doing here in IMDA because I think all of these epiphanies that you're gonna have right about why tech is important about growing your interest in technology has to start from somewhere and I think one of the things we want to do here in IMDA is really encouraging young women to think about technology as something that they can do right that it's a it's a career path for them that they should not be limited by, let's say, um, by by the idea, right? That tech is only for boys, nerds, geeks, who can code very well. Yeah, so uh, that, that is a perception in, in some areas. Um, in Singapore, maybe less so, but still it's something that we have to change. And that's why we spend a lot of effort in, um, in, in up um, this program that I'm working, I'm, I'm very interested and passionate about, um, called Women in Tech, um, and really driving a lot of, initiatives together with our ecosystem partners like um, the Singapore Computer Society um, as well as many of the companies here in Singapore to support um, and help women grow in tech. Yeah. Do you feel like the perception of females in tech has changed during your lifetime in the sense that maybe when you were a young woman, you would not have necessarily been encouraged to join the tech scene, but now you're in a position where you can build infrastructure that not just encourages women to do this but makes it easier for them to do it as well and doesn't stigmatize it in reverse as this is not something you should be doing or can be doing but this is something that everybody should be doing does that make sense and and can you talk to me a little bit more about how you work how the imda works with its partners via women in tech whether it's the singapore computer society or other parts of industry as well to ensure that these opportunities are not just available for women but that are just easy for them to do. Does that make sense? Can you just run me through yeah. that, please? Yeah, sure, of course, I'd, I'd love to do that. Has perception changed, right, for women in tech? Um, we hope that it gets better, right? Um, definitely, um, things have changed from when I was uh, much younger to now. I'm, I'm in a way, I'm lucky that because I work in government, in public sector, the balance between men and women is quite even. So I didn't really have to feel that that problem that personally. Um, but when I talk to my friends and um, other colleagues or business um, acquaintances, um, they do get that 
sense where that they have maybe in some cases when they walk into a room um when they're doing something they're like the only female in the room of men for example so i think that's that's something that we want to um, address um, and as as you mentioned, we 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 partner with um, Civil Computer Society. We partner with many industry organizations. Um, a few things that we do. I, I started with girls, so I talk a little bit about girls, right? So one is we try to encourage um, young women, girls to see tech as a possibility, as a career, right? Get them interested. Um, so we do a lot of girls in tech kind of events. Partner with companies to do like what's a day in the life like, right? If you are working in the tech organization, so sort of get them interested and excited, right? We also um, look at how do we support corporates when they develop or when they think about programs in-house within organizations to help the women in the organizations, the women employees, right? Um, so we started um, this program called the Corporate Pledge. Uh, we had more than 60 companies come on board, almost 70 in fact, um, to see how they can create a conducive corporate environment for women. So this could be internal in-house policies around HR. This could be mentorship. This could be even how they think about the facilities within the organization to support women, right? So that's corporate, that's a corporate pledge. Because that's something that we think it has to be ground up. It's something that you can't be top down. Organizations have to think about it. And what we want to do is help them figure out what are the three most important things for them to do this year. And then the three most important things to do next year, for example. I want to make a really strong case for understanding the importance of role models, right? We can, we can push it oh, aside yes. as if it's something yeah, that's yeah. not that important, right? Like, why is it important for somebody to see someone that looks like they are doing something that they hadn't considered yet? And yet I think about my own life. And even when I was a little boy, right, my parents encouraged me to be a lawyer. And there were plenty of lawyers. I'm not a lawyer and I didn't do that. But there were plenty of lawyers for me to look up to and see there are all these other people that look just like I do, that have similar names, similar backgrounds, that are doing that thing. And it didn't feel weird for me to go do that. And I think it's super important to note that, again, this idea of walking into a room and being the only, like if you walk in a room and all the other people are blue and you're green, you're just thinking, this is not a room that's comfortable for me, even if they want me in mm. there, right? Because I just want mm. a few other green people there so I can feel comfortable. Can you talk a little bit about why this mentorship is really important and also why starting with girls, and I use the term girls explicitly, because when you're six or seven or eight years old, it's important to see people to whom you can aspire. Can you talk about that a little bit, please? Yeah, yeah. thanks, Michael. Um, it's extremely important. Role models are extremely, extremely important. We want girls to be able to see that, oh, there are women who are doing all these wonderful different things in, yeah. the, in, the, tech, in the tech industry. You can be an uh, engineer. Right, you can be uh, working in marketing, for example. You don't actually have to be technical, right, to work in the tech um, sector, or you can be in customer service, for example. So there are there are many different types of roles. So then it's important for them to see that, hey, you know, um, that's something that I can aspire to, as as you mentioned, right? Yep. That's someone that who's doing something really fun and exciting that I can try and learn about and learn from, and that's one of the reasons why we started the Singapore Hundred Women in Tech list. Right, because in the past we were like, you know, when when we try to organize, let's say, a conference or even having all these events where we go to schools, and we are trying to find women to come and speak, right, to girls, speak on conferences, on panels, 
it's really difficult because I have my network and maybe somebody else has the network. But we think there are also a lot more of these women out there that we may not know of or hear about, right? Right. And that's why we started the list um, because we want to showcase that in Singapore, there are many women with different careers who can who have achieved and done exceptional things. And we want to show what they have done. And this, then they become role models, not just the young girls that they talk about, but also young women who are starting their career and they wanted to see, hey, where can I go from here? And these women provide the inspiration yeah. for them. Do you find it fascinating at any level that Mira Maradi, who is the CTO of OpenAI, first of all, gets very little exposure, and maybe that's her thing, right? Maybe she doesn't want to have that exposure. But that Sam Altman is the face of this thing, which is okay, right? Because he comes from Y Combinator <laughs> and stuff like that. But that there's this insanely incredible woman behind there doing all this stuff. I think it's a great, she's a great yeah. role model for people, even if she's not out there yeah. promoting herself, but is there a way to use that as well to encourage people to actually go into deep tech engineering? Yeah, I think um, definitely. I've, I've read some uh, interviews that she's done. So uh, yeah, she's, she's very interesting, um, excellent perspectives. But sometimes I think these very famous people overseas, while they are exciting to, to look towards, right? And say, hey, for younger, I want to get in the deep, I want to be Mira, right? right? But at the same time, I think we also want to make sure that it's something that they feel they can attain. Yeah. And that's why in a way, we have local role models as well in Singapore, right? Because then it's someone closer to home that they can actually see on stage next week if they're interested to go meet that person. Right. And they don't, and that much more accessible and close to home. That's why I think the, uh, I mentioned the Singapore 100 Women in Tech, in tech yep. um, list. I think that's that's something that's important for us to do together. Um, we are opening nominations now. Um, it'll close 15th of April. And we really like to invite people to just recommend women for us to just consider for this list. Yeah. And, and who are the partnerships around the 100 Women in Tech? This is a very important initiative, right? So that there are people... because. In this region, there are incredible women, but there's been no infrastructure for them to be able to not promote themselves, but just promote the idea that we're doing all these great things. And this is a perfect way to do that, right? It's by saying, hey, look, here's a list of 100 people that have done amazing things. There are way more yeah. people than that. There are thousands of people doing this, but here's the best 100 that we found this year alone, right? So tell me more about this initiative as well and what you think its impact is going to be. Yeah, so who are we working with Yes. Uh, for 100 women, right? So we're working with the Singapore Computer Society. Um, so they are they are our co-partners to track this. Um, they're helping to um, run the whole program. Um, that's important. Um, and, you know, you can go to the Singapore Computer Society website and you can find the 100 women. In fact, there are like 200 over now because we've run it for two years. Um, so they're hosting all the content. Um, they're helping to also create opportunities for this woman to do more as well. So anybody who's interested to say, find someone who wants to mentor, who wants, who's interested in mentoring, who's interested to be on the board, who's interested in speaking, the Singapore Computer Society's website is, is the first point of call. I think it's something that you can do. And then extending that to other programs, right? So they, we started with them, uh, a woman on boards initiative that was just launched also recently, that create opportunities again for more women to figure out how do they participate on boards, especially when, when they reach a certain point in their career, they want to give back more um, to the industry. And we provide the training, we provide the opportunities and so on. So I think the impact can come from all these different initiatives, but it's really coming from the system coming together, right? To then say, 
we, we want to work together on this. And that's why the nominations are important. That's why partnership programs like the boards program is important. Uh, mentorship programs are important. And that's how we collectively try and do better, right? Yeah. For women in Singapore, yeah. So what does success look like to you? You mentioned earlier that in the government sector, in the public service sector, it feels kind of even, right? That that you, you never felt out mm. of place there. In industry, it feels very different to me, right? Particularly for mm. someone who comes out of a finance background. I remember sitting on the trading floor and just thinking, there are plenty of guys here, but yeah. not enough gals. Yeah. What does success look like to you? Not just through not just through the women in tech, which is a really important initiative, and also the women on boards, right? Because again, from a mentorship and a role model perspective, if I look up and I don't see anybody that looks familiar to me, it's going to be hard for me to feel like that is possible. But if I look out three years, mm. five years, what does success look like to you? I think we'll be tempted to say, hey, success means it must be must have at least 50% women tech professionals and so on. But that's that's not... The numbers are not what it's about for me, right? right. Um, what's important for me is success means any woman who wants to have any opportunity in tech can get it. Yeah. Right? They should not feel constrained because of their gender. Right. So that to me it's would be success. So a young girl who says, I want to do com science, let's say in university, should not feel like she can't have access to that. Right. A woman engineer who wants to work in a data center should not feel like she's constrained because she cannot speak the male lingo, right? Because that's what all her colleagues do. But she can do just as well as everybody else in the data center. So I think to me, that's really making sure that everyone wants an opportunity because not everybody wants a career in tech. So let's yeah. not force people to do that, right? right? But if you do want a career in tech, you should not feel like you're you, you are not able to achieve everything that you can just because of your gender. Yeah. Yeah. I think that is actually the perfect way to end, unless I've missed something that you want to add in. <laughs> I love ending on that note. That No, but you're right. I just do want to say this, right? That the numbers per se are not important. They're indicative of certain things, but yeah. the numbers per se are not important. This, I, this feeling of that I can definitely do, that's an opportunity for me. I can walk in that door and feel like I'm not going to get admonished for being there. That's the important part. And I think the fact that you've pointed that out is actually really important. Is there anything else that you want to cover that I've missed? We have talked quite a lot about different things, about you know how Singapore has come so far, uh, why is AI important, why is responsible AI important, and then most of all, why you know supporting women in tech is important. I think that we've had a wonderful conversation. So I'd like to thank you, Michael, for giving me the opportunity to share some of my ideas and, and thoughts, yeah. It is my pleasure. Lee Wan Si, a director at IMBA in Singapore, thank you so much for doing that today. Thank you, Michael. My pleasure too. Bye-bye. <laughs>